I'm Akko. And I'm Marcy. And welcome to the Color Pages Book Club. That's right. Mm. It's a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Yes. Ooh, colorful backgrounds. Yes, indeed. Woo. And today we are actually actually on our last episode of the summer short series what? that's right y'all you know it's been a ride through some fiction some non-fiction yep. some movies mm. some video games poetry speeches we had we really did a lot like we really did a lot um <laughs> and so we <laughs> we were just we did so much <laughs> and we were at the end but to put a bow on this like really marvelous summer we have a great book for you all yes so we read all boys aren't blue a memoir manifesto by george m johnson so just some context on who george is so along with writing this award-winning memoir george has written for major and niche media outlets like gotta get my list ready Mm. teen vogue here we go entertainment tonight nbc the root Ebony, them, into the Grio, BSB, Black Youth Project, who, by the way, I think we also did some kind of collaboration with them uh, we like did. last year. Yeah. Um, and several other national media publications. They write on topics regarding things like race, gender, sex, HIV, intersectionality, politics, culture, health, and pop culture. George is an HIV and LGBTQIA plus activist, serving as a state spokesperson for the HIV Stops With Me campaign and being called upon to discuss various issues facing the LGBTQIA plus community. So I am so excited to... To talk about this memoir because I just so one Persepolis just really got me on with memoirs. I'm like I feel like memoirs mm. is like a really untapped genre for me. So definitely excited to be talking about another memoir, but also to y'all, it is it's everything, and I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just so excited. Um, <laughs> so so yes, <laughs> yeah, it's a really 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 good book. I I really enjoyed it. So. Yeah, we're really excited. And I know it's sad that it's the end of the summer and the summer short series is coming to its finale. But guess what, y'all? We do this every year. So (laughs) next year, we'll be back. And you know what the more wild thing is? We don't even stop doing this podcast in the fall. Right. <laughs> just gonna go back to truly books. keeps going. Y'all get an episode in two weeks. Like, in literally. In two weeks. It'll just, just go, just go keep going. So. Arguably, the summer shorts is just an arbitrary way to distinguish time. So, <laughs> exactly. You know. Otherwise, we'd just be we'd just read novels forever. Oh, yeah. um, it's true. Which is Loki a mood? Like, wouldn't even really mind that. Like, high key. It's truly. Because this backlog yeah. for reading, shit. Like, there's just so many books. Yeah. I feel like there are more books than, than I have, like, the lifetime to read. Exactly. Right? On the internet was like, yep. Yeah, yeah. Like, truly, right? Like, there's just, uh, if we read a book every single day, there's no way we're finishing all the books out there in a lifetime. Yeah. Huh. That kind of makes me sad. Yeah. Because you also have to live your life, right? Like, so right. Like, you can't just read forever. <sighs> But then I like binged watch an episode of like a bunch of series on Netflix. And I guess I could have been reading during that time. <laughs> you know, funny enough, I actually have a friend who uh, she actually said like, she was like, yeah, like I don't really like watch TV or get on social media. Like my sole entertainment is pretty much reading. Like she just like, that's how she entertains herself. And I'm like, I huh. really love that. Like I love that. Yeah, just feels so. I just, yeah. So she said that and I was like, you know, but I mean, also to be fair, Aka, we read a lot. Like we read a lot. Like I'm literally always right. reading something. We do read a lot. It's to the point where like <laughs> everyone's like, like my friends will just be like, yeah, so girl, what are you reading now? Because I'm always like, yeah, girl, I read this great. But like I'm all, 
always reading some shit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the cool thing about doing this podcast. I feel like as you become an adult, sometimes you don't make time for reading because Mm. there's like so much adult stuff to do, like pay taxes or like watch paint dry um, or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like be in so a meeting podcast, or something i don't know like, just, <laughs> right you're at like a, a fourth quarter final meeting or you know third for quarter um like ew, team like, development i don't know oh yeah god. exactly it's like retreats something like oh leave synergy. me alone like oh god don't touch me like i, I oh god it's like i'm only here because i have like, to I hate it here. <sighs> um so yeah but the podcast i think makes me read more so hopefully the listeners will help you read more too guess what this is not the question at all for today i know it is wild mm-hmm. um so marcy <laughs> <laughs> i <laughs> have a question oh yes what is your question so the question is this book is i know everyone is surprised a memoir um and it made me think sort of imagine what well it's a two-part question so this Mm -hmm. is you know a b c d all of the above okay the the first question is what is the significance of writing a memoir i think Mm -hmm. we touched on this a little bit with persepolis so Mm -hmm. you know and then the second one is what is the age to write a memoir Mm. And then I'm actually going to throw in my third question in there, which is okay. who would play you in the movie adaptation of your memoir? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is, this is interesting. So I think the significance of memoirs is that <laughs> with a memoir. Okay. So with literature in general, especially with fiction, I feel like you really get to, embody folks of all different like backgrounds and identities and like kind of see things from their point of view it feels way more salient in a memoir and maybe it's just because like i know Mm. it's nonfiction or like i know that this like legitimately happened to someone's life but to me reading a memoir it's like i feel like there's such an intense vulnerability in that Whereas, like, even Mm. if you're reading, like, a historical account on who someone was, like, it's just, like, you really don't get that, like, inner monologue, that inner psychology in the same way that you would with a memoir. I feel like especially when we think about, like, yeah, just, like, building empathy and learning more about folks' experiences who fall outside our own, I feel like memoirs are actually a really, really effective way of doing that. And so, and, and also, too, I feel like memoirs help to really capture kind of the... I guess like the, the the zeitgeist of the time, assuming it's you know a more historical one, mm. um, but from like an actual embodied place. I feel like typically, especially when you know when we speak about like historical trends or cultural trends, like there's a lot of like generalizations. Like we, like we talk about a lot of things in the aggregate, so it's just really nice to see kind of like okay in real time, like for this one person, like what does that actually look like? Right. And so, and yeah, and I think especially when we think about folks from marginalized groups, like writing memoirs like it's just like it's it's literally taking the like controlling the narrative like it's just like i'm mm-hmm. like this is mm-hmm. actually my story point blank period and i just think yeah i i feel like there's so much power in that there's so much visibility in that i know for me reading definitely reading this but even with persepolis there were a lot of aspects that i really related to that just really mm-hmm. made to even just like comparing my inner voice with other people's i feel like that's not something mm. i usually do with fiction because i'm like oh it's fiction like you know it's like eh, kind right, of but not. like right so it's like even seeing how inner monologues may be similar the ways that we talk to ourselves are similar even just like the cadence of yeah like it's just i feel like that piece is really yeah it just feels very 
intimate to the point where I really just look at anyone who's written a memoir and I'm like, go off. Cause to, mm-hmm. ca- to, to, ca- to bring your life into, I mean, there's so much that happens in a life. It's like to, to condense it to, you know, this story and like to like share these really vulnerable details. Yeah. I just, this, I just think is incredible. So yeah. So that's my answer to that. Mm. As far as an age, that's hard. Cause okay. I feel like a good age to write a memoir would just be like any age that I guess is like perhaps at like the end of some sort of like arc in one's life. And sure, this could be like a developmental Mm. arc, like say like childhood or, you know, early adulthood or whatever the case may be, or just like whatever, like however it is, like we categorize our lives with like, you know, the ways that we put chapters on our life periods. Like I feel like something that like a time in which you're like in transition from one thing to another, I feel like is a really good time because I think the the default is to be like, oh, like, you know, you should be older when you write a memoir because you've lived a life and you have so much to share. But it's like, it's different writing about my childhood at age 50 versus at age 20 when it's like things are mm-hmm. much more salient. And like, it's like, I like, it's like you remember, because I feel like memory, I mean, memory is so malleable. Like mm-hmm. how we remember things like, you know, shifts through time and like, you know, sort of how we personify who we once were is different when you're looking back way in the past versus like when that shit is like, really recent you know what I mean so I think um still past but recent past exactly exactly so I feel like any sort of space where you're like in any kind of yeah like transitionary near the end of some kind of arc in your life I think is a good time to yeah just like kind of have that reflection yeah so I wouldn't say like a specific age necessarily but more so more so that Mm -hmm. and as far as like who would play me oh oh my god this is so so I'm going to do a shameless plug here, but we talked about <laughs> a show called, um, oh my God, what was it called? Oh, called Generation on Carefree Black Nerd Podcast with Rain. <laughs> we did. And I just really loved Justice Smith's character. I felt so mm. like, just like, what was, oh my God, what was his name? Um, Nate, no, it wasn't Nathan. It was um Chester. I felt Chester, like, yeah. yeah, I feel like Chester, like just like his whole aesthetic, his whole vibe, his whole energy. I just like really loved that character. I just feel like Justin Smith like played the fuck out of that role. So just like based on like recent memory, I would say, I would say him. Um, but that might shift. So I don't know. Maybe three episodes from now, I'll be like, you know what? I actually want to amend what I said three episodes ago. But yeah, and at this point in time right now, I'm like, I feel like I feel like he could he could kind of play a justice. No pun intended, of course. So. So yeah, what about you? So interesting. I think that, well, first, I think Chester's a great choice. Um, But I remember watching that movie and being like, this feels very Marcy-esque. A little different, but Mm -hmm. I think the actor could really get into the role, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I echo your points on the significance of memoirs. And just to add that, like, historical context, right? in the history of written written histories or written stories, they tended to reflect the stories of one, the winner, two, mm. the wealthy, right? Because paper is expensive and not everyone can read. Now, this is different when you talk about oral traditions, right? That's a more egalitarian mm-hmm. um, storytelling methodology because all you really need to do is express in the same language as the people you're communicating to. So, you know. Um, but in the history of written histories, which is quite extensive at this point in our lives, mm-hmm. there is that hierarchy of the winner and the wealthy mm-hmm. and 
those who are not the proletariat, um, the oppressed, and the marginalized are typically historically not written about, which leads to the caricature of them, right? Mm. By or the othering of them by those in the majority, because both in their writing and in society have no need to internalize the humanity of people who aren't like them and in fact require others to over internalize their humanity. Mm. So the power of a memoir, similar to Persephone, similar to this book, is exactly that. Now another narrative is in the world mm. for as long as, you know, <laughs> that language is spoken or we've there is a lots of library burnings in the past, like the Alexander yeah. and Timbuktu. So as long as that the library isn't burned to the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or as long as the book isn't, you know, lost to time, that narrative exists and it can go forward and it can nuance the conversation about anything, right? Mm. Um and people now do that with so many things. That's kind of why the internet is so kind of dope because anyone can put out a story and then, and that's in a lot of ways taking on the power away from like the, those who have held on to knowledge as a power source. Right. Mm. I was going to say epistemological again, but everyone was like, are you going to say it again? <laughs> Don't yeah, do right? it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but think about it, right. It really right. breaks away at someone's, epistemological control if there are so many different narratives mm. and so many different not just narratives but main characters right? right and not just main characters but main characters told by the people who embody those main characters exactly so that's really i think one of the biggest things and then to touch on your point about empathy creation right it is so much harder to deny the humanity of someone talking to you in the first person in your head, right? Like, mm, so you, yeah. they're the first person and you're reading about them. And so you become them through the space, which mm. is why, what people, it is very difficult to dehumanize someone when you've, when you've taken the time to have their inner monologue in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why people don't do it, right? That's why we make people ugly. That's why we we other people so that we do not have to think about their humanity because if we did, mm-hmm. we would realize that what we're doing to them or to other people, you're doing to another human. And most people, I would say, probably 98% of people would, would have a visceral disgust to that because humans right. tend to be disgusted by hurting people who they see as human, which is why we dehumanize people. Right. So that's what I think is dope about a memoir, which is all the things <laughs> you already said. Um, <laughs> what was the second question that I made up? Uh, the age. Uh, age. There we go. The age. I, I like your point. I was going to say like, sometimes I was like, yeah, but if you write it too late in life, you might look at everything with rose-colored glasses, you know? Oh, that's well, I know early, that's a word. Yeah. Right. But if you write it too early, you're like, did I have the space away from it enough to reflect? Mm. So I thought, like, maybe it would be dope if you just wrote mini memoirs throughout your life and then yeah. went back and commented on your own memoirs. Like, mm-hmm. I did think that then, but I don't think that now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, which would be kind of cool. So maybe just write which is maybe what a journal entry is. I was going to say, maybe just write a memoir all the time. Yeah, you should journal. Um, Right? Maybe aggregate your whole life together. And and, and and maybe that at the end, you're able to see those perspectives. And and then it doesn't have to be one linear story, which this memoir is less linear. More linear, but it's more like vignettes. Mm. Okay. Who would play me? in the movie adaptation. So I don't think there's enough blurred black girls on TV, 
mm-hmm. horror movies. I don't think that character is there very often, but you know where they do exist? On Pinterest and Tumblr. Mm. So for me, <laughs> I would love if some Gen Z Pinterest, Tumblr, Instagram nerd girl would play me and the adaptation of me sometime in the future. Love it. Mm. Love it down. Can't wait to see it. Um, I love that. <laughs> her hair will be much better than mine was as a teenager. Okay. <laughs> so on that very fun note, we're going to take a break. Yes. And when we come back, we'll do the summary of All Boys Aren't Blue. Yes. Sounds good. See you on a bit. We are. Woo. All right. So (laughs) all boys aren't blue. So this is a memoir, Mm -hmm. which means it's kind of worth y'all just reading it um, yourselves because as much as we summarize it, it probably won't convey, actually it won't convey the depth and the emotional sentiment that the author portrays in the book. Mm -hmm. Also, it's kind of like a series of vignettes, short stories, as opposed to one long story i suppose mm-hmm. um which i feel like actually a lot of a lot of memoirs are like that because mm-hmm. it's but anyway that's what's happening so here we go so the book is about <laughs> the author george m johnson <laughs> who uses they them pronouns and it begins with them exploring what it means to be black and queer and how those identities often seem to be at odds with each other but in in actuality are are you know the same the yin and yang of life uh the dichotomies mm. are actually Ooh. the same come on so anyway yes. <laughs> uh, they talk about how they <laughs> used to use the n-word but then they stopped when they were like in a black middle school but then they stopped when they went to high school which was mostly whites and they kind of talk about then going to a black college and what that meant mm-hmm. and yeah so so trying to assimilate but also your identity and then it's a lot about their their home in jersey and their family life and their they're coming of age. So, George was born in New Jersey with their younger brother and two cousins. They primarily stayed with their grandmother, Nanny. And so the story starts out with this pretty tragic story. Luckily, not that tragic because they're five and these are their baby teeth. But <laughs> they get their teeth knocked out when George and their cousins are jumped. Um, mm. And this is really traumatic for them. And, and they actually that trauma of not smiling. So they get really self-conscious about smiling and that trauma of not smiling continues into adulthood. Mm. Um, it's it's mostly a commentary, right, on how trauma in your youth affects you and, mm-hmm. and also how people miss the signs in black queer kids and queer boys about trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's kind of like a, let's unpack this, everyone. <laughs> right. So, right. So that's kind of the beginning of the book. So then we, we later learn that George used to go by Matthew, but they learned from their cousin that that's not necessarily their government name. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, Matthew, well, actually, Matthew does not talk to their mom about it. They go to school and they just start using the name George. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. then their mother, you know, calls them down and they're like, look, OK, your name can be George or Matthew, but you got to choose one. And little baby George is like, I go by Matthew. And then mm-hmm. their mom's like, OK, that's fine. And she was like, I'll go tell your teacher, which it then goes into this like very deep conversation about names and identity, which is really dope, which we'll, we'll get to in the discussion section. But mm-hmm. um, 
So, so at home, they call them Matthew. And at school, they call them George. And I think that's only when they go to Catholic school, which they go, which is the, the more white, more rigid school. Yeah. But before we get to Catholic school, there's this little cute subplot oh where George made up this word, a honey child, and everyone started using it. And like literally everyone, boys, girls, older kids, everyone, everyone. Shit, maybe the teachers, like everyone's like, oh, yeah. honey child. Like, <laughs> <laughs> which is such a cute, honey child is such a sweet, so like, cute. endearment. I know. Um, but then apparently the teachers were like, this is distracting. And so they made George stop using it. And it's, they use it as kind of like a metaphor for the microcosm of slang in America and how queer folks originate a lot of slang and then are penalized for it, particularly queer folks of color, particularly black femme people, right? Yeah. So they'll use a term or a phrase and then it will be appropriated. And then when femme black people use it, it's low class and denotes, you know, lower social standing. But then all of a sudden it's on the runways and Perry and all of a sudden it is the right. most, you know, exactly interesting thing that's ever happened so anyway as george gets older they discuss you know the role sports played in their life as well so they talk mm-hmm. about you know recess being this coveted time for children which is so true like everyone loved recess like Tuck. even if you didn't want to play you just didn't want to work exactly <laughs> like uh recess um, was everything <laughs> recess is everything like that show recess anyway so <laughs> And they talk about how they enjoy playing double dutch at recess with the girls in their class. But because the other boys started using offensive words against them to sort of like offset that, they went and played football, which they were good at. They were good at football, mm-hmm. but the culture was disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were like, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> and instead, they kind of found track and field to be less terrible. And like they found solace in that. So they mm-hmm. did that instead. So as we said, George talks more about their education and they talk about how in their middle school is very black. Like the population was very black. The teachers were very, were very black. And so there was an emphasis on black history, even though of course there was still, <laughs> they talk about the fact that like there were all these white men on the walls and <laughs> mm-hmm. in, in frames and photos, but the teachers were really focused on telling the true story of what the history of America was in particular for the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of compared or juxtaposed <laughs> with as one would ju- say <laughs> we got as epistemology and juxtaposed oh my god <laughs> we had epistemology <laughs> and juxtaposed they're like you can't even say the words in the same episode that's how you know it's the end of the season anyway so George <laughs> juxtaposed George compares that to when they're in high school and how their teachers were whitewashing everything you know Mm. they start talking about like enslaved peoples as immigrants who came to work or not telling you what the real reason for the texas american mexican-american war was about i learned that one i learned the incorrect (laughs) version Mm -hmm. it was about slavery for anyone who was in texas who they tell you what texas independence was about it was about slavery anyway so their teachers are whitewashing things obviously and george having this history that was very black focused is like whoa whoa i'm gonna push back for a second Mm-hmm. I think that you're wrong. And the teachers were like, um, 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 and George was like, oh, you don't have anything to say about that. Well, that's because I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And even there's a point where a teacher casually drops that in the past, even, you know, this is a favorite line people like to use where they're like, it was, it was, um, of its time. You know, oh <laughs> slavery was of oh its time. Oh my God. <laughs> 
this was this and that was of its time. Like you're like, and the teacher goes so far as to say, you know, back then even I would have slaves. And you're like, and everyone Which, in the class was like, why are you? Why are you clocking in the next day? Like that's what right. I like the fact that the teacher's job <laughs> no. didn't end that day. That's the part that, that gagged moment. me the most, honestly. And you know the 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 very telling thing about education, and I think we both have experienced this. Is this stuff often happens where a teacher right. will just say something that you're like. Honestly, it's like part of growing up. It's like your teacher will say something and you're like, I think that's excessively incorrect. Like, I think that's yeah. so maybe this is just the millennial Gen Z's experience. But you're just like, <laughs> I think that's so far from the right answer. And the teacher is like, I'm the authority figure in the room. And that's therefore what I say is oh correct. Let's quote unquote move on. Huh, OK, so anyway, that <sighs> is kind of what happens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so now I'll just kind of talk about the rest of the book. It kind of goes into family and then sort of like adolescence and later friendship. So um, also real quick before I even start. Yeah, Akko, you really, the whole teacher is being offensive thing. That's such a thing. I feel like it was always history mm-hmm. teachers too, who would just like, yeah. I guess like in history, you're talking about people. So all the, all the racism and misogyny and just terrible shit just just pops out and i'm like literally yikes like i have there was a teacher of mine in high school that we would literally just get to basically boxing in class anyway you know we, we can talk about it later, that later anyway um so george um we're gonna talk about george's family now so we in this part of the book we learn more about george's family dynamics and so kind of like Akko mentioned earlier they used to spend a lot of time with their grandmother nanny growing up and it was really cute because like she was basically their best friend so like yeah they would go to like like flea markets together and like just do all these different like kind of entrepreneurial activities because while a lot of George's like cousins and even like you know their younger brothers tended to have like a friend group George didn't really necessarily have that like they had friends but not really like uh you know those really salient connections and so um nanny was kind of yeah nanny was sort of like that for them so pivoting to George's I guess nuclear families so their dad is um pretty pretty country like from the south whatever whatever and they noticed that being country right yeah nothing ain't nothing wrong with that so the dad's like you know from the south whatever whatever and they're just kind of reflecting how you know growing up like their dad could be you know very affirming to them and sort of their identity or at least at the very least Mm -hmm. like not actively problematic as far as like you know because george growing up was like you know very feminine and like you know people would often make comments on like their behavior and stuff and so their dad was like kind of more supportive in that sense um Mm. a lot of that does come from the fact that george actually has an older brother who's about 11 years older who's who's gay so george's older brother and their dad they they used to butt heads a lot and so i think with george's with george's kind of upbringing like their dad was like okay i want to kind of like do better the second time around and like you know just like not have those same kind of issues that I, that I had before. And so, so yeah, so we like learn more about them. We learn about, oh, and also too, just in George's family. So like George's mom's side of the family has like a lot more like kind of queer and trans people. George's dad's side, not so much, or at the very least people aren't like openly so. And so pivoting to George's mom's side of the family, we actually learn more about their cousin Hope, who mm-hmm. identifies, who identified as a trans woman. And it was really interesting because like, in the chapter, George kind of like chronicles like just sort of like her life and her transition and like kind of how that was met by the family. And it was interesting because in a lot of ways, Hope kind of represented to George like visibility for who they could be in the world. Like George just kind of assumed for a long time that like, you know, as they grew older, that they, they would too transition and they would identify as a trans woman, you know, just it just wasn't their current identity. And so I think that was sort of like this kind of constant narrative. It's a hope in a lot of ways is like just a very 
wonderful presence and frankly like was met mm-hmm. all things considered pretty well by the family i mean not not yeah. perfect not perfect but ultimately people were sort of like supportive of her and you know and and, and things like that um it's really unfortunate and it was also but, like yeah it kind of like in the book it kind of seemed like the family was like oh yeah this is just this is just part of our family like it w- didn't even make it seem like hope was like the first like popped out of nowhere they're like no exactly this is actually like ancestral something that mm. happened which i thought was really really cool anyway continue yeah absolutely absolutely and and unfortunately you know hope died really young and mm-hmm. it was just really tragic but like you know it just yeah there, there there was a lot of kind of inspiration in her story i have some thoughts about her section specifically but we'll, we'll talk more about that um yeah so yeah and then also to you know going back to the nuclear family a little bit you know george's mom the two of them were pretty close as well she had a lot of health problems and so they saw her like you know have multiple surgeries and things like that um but at the same time like their mom's conviction towards life like never changed and like her courage was like really inspirational Mm, for for them it kind of seems like she gave george a lot of space like even early on with like the matthew george thing and Mm. just in life it seems like she was a very affirming present but continue yes and kind of on that same theme of health you know um, some nanny who we love also had you know later in life had some some health issues and so as well as one of george's uncles and so mm-hmm. there's a chapter about how george would kind of like take care of them and just like how this this opportunity to like care for one's elders is like just really transformative and like powerful and honestly reading it i like hadn't i really hadn't thought about that much and i was like wow yeah. that's there's like something really beautiful here. And I kind of love that. That's yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't love, I, yeah. Basically I was like, I was like, I, I feel like there's a, right. You don't love that people were, were sad. Right. <laughs> but like right. That, that feeling of like, Hey, you know, and uh, taking care of family in that perspective. Exactly. Th- thank you for so mm-hmm. beautifully saying what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So, so, so there's a lot of really interesting kind of family experiences there. Pivoting into adolescence a little bit now. So, so content warning, I'm going to talk about sexual assault briefly. Yeah. George. Actually, yeah. Real quick too. We're going to like give a little pause space here so you can actually have time <laughs> to turn off your podcast. Right. Yeah, sometimes we just do the content warning. I was listening to an old episode and I was like, wow, we just do a content warning. And it just, just like, like in the talking. same breath kept talking, which like, <laughs> thank yeah. you for call- Thank you for naming that thank because yeah. So if you want to just, you know what, wherever we are right now, if you're like, you know what, I want to hear this skip, you may, you may just skip to the, to the um, discussion or maybe just skip like five minutes ahead from now. And yeah, and we'll it, put it in the description yeah. where this ends. E- even better. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So, content warning for everyone: take care of yourselves, obviously. So, George describes an experience where they were sexually assaulted by one of their cousins, and it was interesting because they were kind of reflecting on how, for them as a queer person, it felt like sort of like a, I guess, kind of like an initial queer sexual experience. Granted, you know, Akko, actually, I remember you made a really great metaphor um, about about this a couple episodes ago, but, you know, equating, like, like we, we shouldn't necessarily equate sex to sexual assault. Like, it's like, I remember you said something to the effect of, like, you know, if you hit someone over the head with a baseball bat, it doesn't mean you're playing baseball. And so, you know, obviously, yeah. like, sexual assault is, is, is an act of power, taking power from someone, exerting power over someone else. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, yeah, there, there, there's 
definitely some nuance there. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, like I, we we understood where they were coming from, and kind of so, like yeah, in in that whole in that whole discussion. Yeah, George is 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 quite forgiving of of their cousin in a way, yeah. and they make it very clear that that's their personal story. They're not trying to like project a forgivingness mm-hmm. on other people but for right. them and they also express you know this part was really moving because they they keep repeating this line like i wonder if i should talk about you now that you're you're gone and they say like i asked the community you know there's so much there like you can tell that they are working through even in the writing of it how to talk about this thing and then they come to a conclusion about how they want to write it this section is really just worth reading if you have the capacity for it um uh, yeah and so they are kind of discussing the intersectionality of their queer identity their coming of age and first as sexual experiences which happen in the lens of this quite not good power dynamic mm-hmm. um and also thomas their cousin's sexuality and what they were looking for and Mm. why their motivations may have been where they were regardless of i i don't think they're really co-signing them at all but i think they are um expressing the humanity of thomas as well again not Mm -hmm. something you have to do (laughs) yeah if you've had this experience but and they they george also says that too they're like look (laughs) you come to the conclusions the way you uh, come to them and they also point out like they didn't come to this conclusion until they were an adult. Yeah. So, yeah. So that section is pretty nuanced and really interesting and worth reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and me and Marcy try to give you a pretty good summary of it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- thank you for that, Aka. That you, huh, you just say words so beautifully. I, I, I just be awestruck. Um, but yeah, all of that pl- plus a thousand to everything you just said. Um, <laughs> Oh, God, that was like the most Zoom shit I've... You know what? We're going to move on. So now we're going to talk a little bit about high school. You mean Zoom, the Disney musical from the early 2000s? No, like like on Zoom. Like when You, you ever been on Zoom and like in, in a chat, like someone says something and then people be like, oh, plus one, like plus a hundred. Oh, okay. To like agree. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah I people was like, say oh. that? Don't we usually put that in the text box? Yeah, no one, no one actually says it, but yeah, they put it in the, in the, in the chat, but I like oh, gotcha. said it out loud. So it was like, I both not only said something that's usually written, but also like from Zoom, <laughs> like what the fuck? Anyway, I just, you know what? It's fine. Um, So George, we're going to talk about George. We love George. I'm so, dead. <laughs> um, so when George was a junior in high school, they kind of like talk about this, ex- this experience they had on the bus where they met this cute boy named Zamus, who it was really interesting because like, okay, so it was so cute because both of them like became friends and they were both Aww. queer, but neither of them really like i guess openly talked about it but it was like very like to one another they're like girl we we like we here we together (laughs) like so Mm -hmm. um there's like you know kind of like talking about like that sort of like initial experience of like queer friendship which is i feel like had like a really big impact it was really interesting because actually later in life like a few years later they actually met at they um were both at pride and like ran into each other and it was like this whole thing and it was just like you know they, Aww, they're they're friends to yeah, this day and it's just cute. very very sweet also some energy the energy there that we love you know we love to see that as well um yeah yeah so so yeah so now we're gonna so yeah like so after that um you know george talks about graduating from high school and how pretty much their plan was just to like get the fuck out of New Jersey to like really just explore like their queer identity, just be somewhere else, kind of start over. Um, there's like a whole subplot where like they talk about falling in love with Beyonce, which I <laughs> also just lived for. <laughs> 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 Relatable. Anyway, um, 
And so George ends up moving to Virginia to go to Virginia Union University, which is actually one of the oldest HBCUs in the South. And so they kind of saw this as a chance to like kind of redefine themselves, to be elsewhere. And also, too, it was, it, it was convenient because they, they also had family in Virginia. So it wasn't like yes. super duper far. And being in college, George initially had some difficulties like you know they were making friends like they were you know doing whatever they need to be done but like they weren't fully ready to 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 be out and to you know be very open about about their their queerness and because of that they actually kind of fell into like a major depression um Mm -hmm. and you know sort of fell like you know they they like lost their scholarship like their grades went really low at the end of their freshman year and so yeah it kind of just represented a really low moment but thankfully in the following year sophomore year they were able to kind of like be more of themselves and they also joined a fraternity alpha by alpha and that in itself was like a really beautiful way to it just kind of like connect with their own masculinity and also just foster a Mm -hmm. sense of like brotherhood and community and it was interesting because in the space you know fraternities can be you know all the things we hate about toxic masculinity but in this specific chapter like the chapter at the at the university you know george was i mean yeah like george had some brothers that were like pretty homophobic i think it was actually more of the older brothers or maybe maybe perhaps even i read it as some of yeah maybe even some of the alumni but like the people who were actually like in the fraternity like with them like in real time like a lot of them were actually queer themselves and so it made for yeah just again like this this experience of like kind of queer community and queer friendship and it was like you remember that scene where it was like i think okay akko's gonna admit that she knows very little about being in a fraternity but there was a part <laughs> where they're all <laughs> they finished their burning sand running <laughs> or something and, <laughs> what? And, they're, and they're all being like um initiated into oh my god i sound Wait, like they're probing about sports i'm sorry they're probing Sure, sure. Wait, like, like <laughs> sure. when they officially became part of the the fraternity? Yes. During that, yeah. Ser- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, what Marcy said. Listen to that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> when they finished that, <laughs> they were all like, "I think you were all supposed to say the name of the your brother in the fraternity," and and so everyone says, "I am that person," mm-hmm. and so then everyone says, "You know, I am George from New Jersey," and like, you know, it's just like very cool to have everyone. To like show this unity, right? And so it's like this reflection of having a community and an acceptance. And mm. I loved it because, yeah, like you were saying, it was a masculinity that wasn't toxic. It was a masculinity that was very, um, like, um, not giving, accepting, accepting. Yeah. It made me feel like it was just healthy. It, it, like you're like, oh yeah, I forgot that like masculinity can be healthy. We just like see toxic masculinity most of the time, and that's why. We forget about that. Okay. Anyway, Marcy Which, wasn't finished. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, but that's really a gag though, because like even in myself, I feel like I've always kind of like alienated. Well, more recently, I've like kind of alienated alienated myself from like my own masculinity because of all these like, not because I felt like my own masculinity was toxic, but like I, I kind of just felt like masculinity as a whole was. Mm. And it just makes me, there's a whole lot of like self-denial things i want to talk about i i'm sorry y'all. i feel like we i'm so much better about being like we're gonna talk about that later but you know this book just it just it just brings up a lot so yeah but yeah we'll, so we'll talk about it, it. Hmm? you know what it reminds me of um healthy masculinity and like this fraternity it reminds me of like the the haka like dances in maori culture which is pacific mm-hmm. islander culture i don't want to like do any erasure here but um 
every time I see it, it's like very healthy masculinity. It's always very like bringing someone into the fold, you know? It's mm. it's like very affirming and like very ancestral in the sense that like we're we're an embodiment of those who came before us, but it's, it's, I always, and it's always like, sometimes they're welcoming someone home. Sometimes it's a wedding. Sometimes it's a funeral, but it's always this, sometimes it's like, um, I don't know, a sports game, but it's mm. all this very like making space and then holding someone in that space, mm-hmm. um, or a camaraderie, like a team together. Mm. I don't know. And I, I, when I try to think of masculinity, that's healthy and divorce from like, toxicity and and sexism and heterosexism and homophobia and racism i i I think about those Mm. things those things are very communal um and Mm. very affirming and holding and using you know masculinity is sometimes affiliated with strength and power but using that power in a way that's that that brings people together as opposed to violence and domination right footnotes with Akko. No, I (laughs) I, I appreciate you saying that because I I feel like in a, I guess in our sort of Western paradigm of of masculinity, it can just feel very rigid and like stiff Mm -hmm. in a way that I'm like, I feel like it don't, it ain't gotta be like this. Like it can actually flow and be fluid and it doesn't have to be so, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. I, I just think of like a, like a, like a rock or just something that's just like just hard and stiff. It just can't do shit with it. I just, it ain't gotta be like that. Um, And I I actually feel like black culture isn't like that, mm -hmm. but because the majority culture in America and the oppressive power culture is patriarchal whiteness and, and not even really white people, but that colonizing whiteness, right? Mm -hmm. That destructive, overtaking whiteness that that's what infects all the other realms of like masculinity right so like Mm. colonial patriarchy capital c capital p (laughs) infects masculinity to the point Mm. where it becomes this odd hierarchical fragile really um you know thing so But I could be, you know, wrong. Yeah, and and it's like the fragility <laughs> makes it such that it's like you can't even fully connect with it in yourself because it's like there's no yes. room for actual exploration. Like it's like there's like what does it actually mean yeah. to like if some if your masculinity is like so constantly like up for debate or like could so easily be like taken away from you just by like mm-hmm. you know this over reliance on like gender norms and like heteronormative expectations. Like exactly, where's the room to find out what does this actually mean for you? Um, you know, like I, I think well, about the episode, yeah. our last episode, where we were talking about you know black womanhood and like what it mean. What was that our last episode or two episodes ago? Ooh. No, it was last uh, two episodes. Two episodes ago, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where you know we were talking about um, Audre Lorde and Sojourner Truth. It's like what does it mean to ha- like to have your own self de- definition yes. of of black womanhood of, of how you yes. show up in femininity or like in whatever sort of gender energy kind of aligns with you. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that, that, that there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's like, yeah, like necessity? there's, 
Yeah, like, like necessity for like a similar conversation or like there needs to be like a similar necessitated like self-reflection around like, okay, what but what does it mean for me to occupy masculinity? And, and frankly, I would say that this yes. is something that everyone should ask themselves because I, I believe most people embody both, you know, like, and, and granted, these Agreed. are like femininity, masculinity is a very binary way of thinking about gender. But like, you know, for, for the language that exists, like I think that these are... Just in general, I, I feel like there just needs to be self-reflection about, like, what does gender actually mean for us, regardless of how we identify? And yes. just to pirouette and sashay off of Marcy's last point, which is a beautiful point, is I agree that this is not the discussion section, but real quick, I, I agree with you <laughs> that um, <laughs> we embody both. And I don't think people who are femme-identified are free of toxic masculinity because we live in a patriarchal society Abs- right and absolutely we both facilitate and perpetuate mm-hmm. those roles right we as adults we perpetuate it in children as lovers or friends we perpetuate mm-hmm. it in our social groups and so you're and, and same thing you know with a rigid idea of femininity which who knows where it stems from but all those mm. things right we per- we perpetuate them and and so if we do not examine them we can't hope to make definitions that are more expansive and right. I, I think with the expansiveness of these definitions we'd find what suits us as a people to call each other just in general like we would know what to do with each other if <laughs> we mm. would stop relying on on these very narrow very restrictive ways of viewing each other um, exactly yeah yeah to your point like right like if the thing is so narrow and fragile like you cannot explore it and therefore mm. you must appeal to it as, exactly. as opposed to embody it or or embody whatever you want to be you know what i mean like right. you're always falling short of this expectation All, and then always falling short yeah yep and then what will you give up to you know, stand on this very rigid, small pedestal, right? Like, mm-hmm. what will you throw away to make sure that you are always holding on to this masculinity or this toxic idea of of uh, what a black woman should be in, in the case mm. of the poetry we read? You know, anyway. All right. <clears throat> no, that's, that's, yeah. that's real shit. Um, so hopping back to the story, <laughs> everyone's like, girl, what were we talking about? Um, yeah, so we were talking about how George joined a fraternity. Um, yes. The, and, and, and I'm almost done, y'all. So there's a there's a chapter where George kind of talks about like some initial sexual experiences, you know, with them, mm-hmm. you know, meeting people and fucking and all that good stuff. Um, <laughs> and how it was a delight, it's but also... Beautifully described. Right? Very human. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like how it's like a delight, but also like, like painful, like, I mean, like also like literally and also just like kind of intimidating. But um, yeah, so I just, yeah, really enjoyed that chapter. The book kind of actually ends on a relatively sad note because it talks about how one of George's good friends um, and brothers from the, uh, la, 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 from the fraternity, how, um, how he actually died Kenny. like very suddenly and how, you know, George and their brothers had to kind of like put together like this funeral and all of that and all and that whole experience just really made them reflect on just like just how limited time is and like how especially as like you know black people black queer people like like just live your fucking life you know what i mean like just like just yeah just with the time that we have like and i know it sounds so cliche but yeah like just really kind of 
not taking time for granted um, and assuming that we're always going to have more more of it. Um, right. And yeah, and then there, and then there's a there's a afterward where George kind of talks about sort of the meaning of the title behind "All Boys Aren't Blue" and how not being blue like kind of represents this resistance. It represents love, self definition, acceptance, and just really, yeah, like embodying embodying all those things. So. That's the plot summary, if you can call it that, um, if someone's life is a plot. <laughs> um, but but yes, so I know we basically already started the discussion section, but we're going to actually take a break now. Yes. And we get back. break. Yes. We are going to get into, into more of the thoughts, because as y'all can see, there are many. So yes, see y'all in a bit. Woo! <laughs> We're back. So yes, we y'all. I just we just have so many thoughts. So I guess what we'll do, we'll just kind of like just jump with our typical kind of general self-reflections and, and kind of get into the nitty, followed by the gritty. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> Y'all can tell it's like the last summer short series. It's like, where's the what is this energy? Um so You know, like on the last day of school where you're like you know, like all the things you're supposed to do, you like didn't do, like doesn't matter. Even your teachers are like, you know what? You know what? It's fine. Like <laughs> that's, that's really it. Like I swear, a lot of days school, I'll literally just be like, Well, girl, I'm here. Like it's just like it's just very it's right. like I'm here, but like I don't I don't giving a fuck, that's 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 supplemental. I don't that sounds extra like that that's a, that's a, that's gonna cost you a little bit extra that's not uh, we're not giving that um but yes so all in all i i mean it's probably pretty obvious i really love this memoir um <laughs> it's just you know there, there are just a number of things so one we didn't really i guess talk about this but the book is very clearly written for like a younger ideally probably like an adolescent audience like they're between chapters um it'll kind of be george just like you know, just like reflecting, kind of speaking, speaking to different things, speaking to like adolescent experiences, and reading it felt very much like, and I just felt like I was really connecting to like my inner child reading this book. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, it really kind of brought me to a space where I just did a lot of reflection myself, and it just brought up a lot of memories. And I'm like, I'm literally reading someone else's memoir, but it's like bringing up memories of my own life. Like it just, it felt so, I like. I'm not sure if I've ever read anything like this. And I'm just being completely honest with y'all. Like I've never read something that just spoke so directly to me like this in a way that I'm like, and not even that it's like, wow, like I relate to this. So like, Oh, this is cool. Or like, Oh, like this really resonated. Like I've been touched by literature before, but this felt like it felt almost invasive is the wrong word. It's like very intimate mm-hmm. in a way. Like it just felt like I was like, how do you, know my life like just literally <laughs> i was like i'm i feel like i'm reading my own life story like it is wild just the like the the similarities and and you know the, obviously some differences but like they're just wow just so many like nuanced things that came up that i was like wow like i've never really seen this reflected on and like and, and being in sort of that like younger headspace connecting with my inner child a bit i don't know like i would get like very like misty-eyed reading this like it just really mm. like hit very very close to home um so when i speak on the relatability piece there there are so many things so one george spoke about this during the chapter with hope but also just kind of throughout how oftentimes like at, when they would daydream as a as a child like they would think of themselves as like as a girl and i'm like 
same like literally like it was like and that just came up all the time and like how for them it kind of represented in some ways like okay well i didn't really exist in a space where my femininity was legible in this gender that people were reading me as and this body that people ascribe all this meaning to that like didn't really give me much of a choice and so being a girl internally felt like more of a legible way of making that all make sense. Um, or at least that was my, that was my interpretation of it. Feel free to correct me if I'm completely off base here, but um, I think that made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so reading that, I was like, wow, I really, really relate to that. And that's something that even now I still do. Like when I think of myself, like I'm much like, I, I would say like the me in my mind, when I think of myself, I guess in third person, like like the person can be a varying genders, but typically is a more like feminine presenting, like usually we would kind of like, I, like I think of myself as like, women a lot and like and it's something that it's like i i i've never really i remember kind of talking about this with other people but like them not really relating and i was just like i just have never really had this conversation really at length with people Mm. and i guess like what that means and like does that like what like what meaning is there to be ascribed from that i will say this as well like as my own sort of like gender presentation has like shifted it throughout my own life i've found that it's a lot easier for me to think of myself like as myself like Mm. looking in the mirror just like like i'll think of myself at a very particular time or i'll see a photo of, photo of myself and i'll like think of that person and it's like there's something here that like i just yeah anyway so i really really related to that i remember they spoke about how in one chapter like they <laughs> they got these cowboy boots and they loved the cowboy boots because every time they would walk like the heel would make this kind of like clacking noise or like like if someone mm-hmm. wearing heels yeah and i'm like same like i always loved wearing like a dress shoe with like a nice heel that made a clack sound like it felt like this way of like it's like yeah like just kind of having this like kind of more feminine sort of sound to accompany this like like there were just so many things that i was like wow i really shit they talk about like how learning to swim like they got pushed into a pool by their cousins which is alarming like that's like what um and how that kind of taught them to swim, but also too, like they, in their own family, like they have a lot of people who, you know, are kind of hesitant about swimming because they had these near death experiences in water. And I'm like, I, I thought about myself when I like used to love swimming. And then like in middle school, I also almost drowned and like, it really kind of fucked up my relationship with swimming since then. It, it's just, it, there are just so, so many. Interesting. Yeah. My dad almost drowned as a kid and he cannot swim. I, I I actually think it's a thing most people who have had like near death swimming sw- swimming experiences do not like to swim like they yeah. do not like it. <laughs> yeah, and it, um, sorry, continue. You no, know, and, and it's funny because it's like I can swim, but it's like I don't I don't like to be in like a pool well, of water you where learned, I, you also learned to swim before the right. Yeah, but it, it's just I guess for me it's like I don't like it when I'm in a body of water and I can't feel the bottom mm-hmm. of it. I'm like if I can't feel the bottom, I start to panic, and it's like, it just brings me back to like that whole incident. And it just I don't know. It, it it just shit. Even talking about when they went to college and they were like, it, it was almost like this. Not even almost. It was like this queer migration for them. How it was like okay, college is an opportunity for me to like be myself and connect to my queerness mm-hmm. and just like exist and be. And I'm like. What? Like it's just like all of these nuanced descriptions. I was like, this is this is some other shit. Like I like I honestly feel exposed. Like I'm like I feel just like this <laughs> hits hella close to home. Anyway, I'm just so the book is obviously very relatable to me. I very much read it and was like, I truly see myself reflected almost the most I've ever seen in any form of media ever. Um 
And I just really loved it. There were just there there are certainly a lot of things I want to kind of also bring up, but those are just some initial initial thoughts. What did you think? I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I I love that you saw yourself in this book because I think one of the things that and I think this is what gets lost in this like diversity conversation that in the majority culture things we just like are whining, which is a little annoying. Um, mm. But it is, and I think we both had this, this experience of being in school and reading a lot of things and you're like, I get that I'm supposed to be reading this, but I also don't know how this relates to me. And and mm. we are forced, which we, we, we are forced, which we should all do to imagine the humanity of others and empathize with the majority. But that same work is not done for one, ourselves, to see ourselves in narratives. Mm-hmm. And two, for the majority culture to have to empathize with those that are not like them, right? So the reading looks, you know, you've got like the catcher in the rye and Shiloh with a dog and I don't know, <laughs> Bridge to Terabithia. I don't know. I don't know. What that means. <laughs> Bridge to <laughs> but, Terabithia. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, Nardia. Like, Great just... Gatsby. You know, all these stories oh, that are are very majority very heteronormative mm-hmm. um and so you get this relationship with reading that's a little bit distant from you um mm-hmm. i think for me i used to hide behind that i was like well don't read books about yourself because it will make you feel things and that sounds like you'd have to unpack things and that sounds just like a lot mm-hmm. of emotional work <laughs> but yeah. there should not be that lack of books that we see ourselves in. So that makes me really happy. I also really like this book. There were some very relatable things for me and very poignant things for me as well. And this is like a side thought, Marcy, to your point. Mm-hmm. I I think that, because there's like an idea of a tomboy, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. And so that young girls, because masculinity is a standard, there is no penalization. Well, there is. There is a penalization if you are queer, but there is there's a larger threshold before you're clocked as inappropriately outside of your gender for for mm-hmm. women at a younger age, right? So like mm-hmm. if you're a girl who plays sports for a long time you can pass under the radar, you know, you're not gonna mm-hmm. get in trouble in society. There's a lot of space until there's not. <laughs> until there's no right. more space. Whereas I feel for young boy identified or society identifies as boys, mm-hmm. people, that space, it's very, fa- the, the the rigidosity is very quick. Um, yeah. Now, I don't want to say that's true for all women cause, and young girls or femme identified people because there is like a lot of things about weight and diet. There's a lot of other restri- <laughs> restrictions, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's just different. So, I thought it was interesting that that it was like the only way I can imagine myself and my queer identity is through uh, seeing myself as a young girl um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to what you're saying now in your adulthood. And correct me if I'm wrong. And listeners, if you're like, Akko, you're off the beaten path. (laughs) Bring me back. I'm I'm okay with that. I'm not going to whine. But it seems like as you've gotten older, the queer, you've just allowed yourself to be who you are gender wise. And it doesn't Mm. necessarily look like require you deciding on a gender norm um yeah maybe yeah and because like before it was like you know 
the way that I would present it, it there, there did feel like some, I guess, dissonance there. And mm. so I think it's, it, it's like, how do I frame this? I guess it's like just like the, 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 with the models that existed and sort of what I've been exposed right. to culturally, it just felt like, okay, well, I guess envisioning myself and I have, I have so many thoughts about this. Like, I, like, I, like at the time, I think, yeah, envisioning myself as a girl or as a woman, like just felt like the thing that just, that just make the most sense to me. Also right. too, like, I feel like even if like there wasn't even like some deep reason behind that, like I just happened to think of myself in that way. I don't, I don't think it necessarily has to signify anything i mean it can but also doesn't have to yeah i i guess this idea right. of being like super rigid in how we imagine ourselves or think of ourselves or what we look like in our own thoughts like i feel like to me having that be kind of fluid or flexible or whatever like is also just like that's also just like fine but uh but yeah exactly what you right. said though like i feel like as i've kind of explored my own queerness and my own gender like it's been like oh like this this feels like okay like I'm this is the person I'm seeing in my, in my thoughts I feel like we're going some we're we're, we're doing some I'm I'm like right. keep you 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 want to something here <laughs> um, the, the yeah reason, the reason I I came to that thought was when I was I used to love I still do Spider Man um mm-hmm. um and I related really really strongly to Spider Man. I think mm. we talked about this in college once and mm. it was this outsider narrative. Spider Man is a, a white boy from Brooklyn. And I was not white or a boy or from Brooklyn. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But because white cis male is the default, no one is confused when you imagine yourself or relate to that. Right. Mm. And because you aspire, you know, and, and because all, a lot of narratives are, you know, like no one's ever like, Oh, if I was like, I just don't understand the catcher in the rye. I don't really like get the character. Like, it's not like really my lived experience. People would be like, um, but this is a universal experience. You know what I mean? Right. And so, but no one ever says, and as I got older, I was like, I love the traits and the personality of Peter Parker, but that's separate from the gender and the mm. um, race of Peter Parker. Right. And and then I realized there were just not a lot of models of, of that sort of scrappy, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, sort of superhero character for a black girl typically if they were they were quite quote-unquote sassy and i was like mm-hmm. i don't know if i have the sass in me to do this <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, which is again love sass have no issue with it but it just wasn't my way of presenting so all that to say there should be more representation in literature <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know i have no other conclusion um Except for that. Okay. Yeah. I felt this book was really deep and I really liked it. There was a part about masks and smiling as a mask that I really mm. related to. And George talks about it more like they didn't smile and how they wish people had noticed that trauma. Mm-hmm. And but it's, and it's just one throwaway line about smiling and that being a mask. And I I really resonated with that because I think when, in my youth, I really used smiling as a way to make distance between me and other people. Mm-hmm. I found that really relatable. And there's a lot of things that they wrote about, even <laughs> escaping your hometown to go to college. <laughs> Tough. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> um, and I think the way they talked about the intersection of queerness and the black community is not two separate things. And mm-hmm. I really loved that they were like, I'm not going to 
deny the communityness of blackness, which they clearly mm-hmm. really deeply love and mm-hmm. that they would probably say is made their identity, you know, like and and they clearly identify strongly with their southern heritage and mm-hmm. oh let me not say that southern heritage is always kind of evil they clearly identify very strongly <laughs> <laughs> with being southern and, uh-huh. you know a southern black person in a way that i think what they're trying to do is talk about the complexities right they're trying to say like queerness does not exist outside of blackness queer acceptance does not exist outside of being from the south because there are black people a lot of black queer folks in the south like and i think there's an idea that progress and acceptance of queerness is is white right and mm-hmm. and that the north you know is more progressive than the south you know all these, right. these all this bullshit like, yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think they work really hard in the story that the whole point of our all boys aren't blue is to say like there can be healthy masculinity. We can embody it, you know, with the fraternity. There are mm-hmm. fathers who will love you, although, I mean, he kind of messed up older brother, but you can see that there was mm-hmm. that love there. There is a blackness that holds trans folks that are part of their family with love, although, mm-hmm. like like they said, not perfectly. But if it happened imperfectly, it can happen perfectly, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, it's not impossible. And I love that that was kind of what I got from this book was that, we can imagine a future that's brighter than this without having to divorce ourselves from black. And in fact, there, in fact, it is a natural progression of, of the black community of, of blackness right. in America to, to be this. And in fact, has already been this in the past. Um, cool. Yeah. Words, no. And I'm, know. I'm really glad you said that because like, I mean, even in myself, like my in my own queerness and how I like show up, like I feel, I feel like there's so many attributes that I can attribute to, if not like my family, just like sort of the environment I grew up in, and just like the mm. like like just being in this sort of like more black setting that like it's like this is like it's truly inextricable to like how mm-hmm. I am as a queer person, and right. Shit, half the time I'd be like, you know, being in a white queer space is more like what the fuck than like just being in a black space. <laughs> like it's just, you know, like it's 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 um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm really glad you yeah. you captured that nuance and it said that. So yeah, because there are times where I'm like in white women spaces and I'm like, this is not how big me. And they're like, <laughs> why not? And you're like, I feel like it's a lack of intersectionality, <laughs> and I just I'm like. I don't know, like, femininity doesn't work. It kind of like we were saying with the poetry, like, it doesn't, we have to, I think there's something to be said about the the cultural underlines of things. And right. even the emphasis we put on gender as the most important aspect of a culture is also, I mean, not gonna lie, <laughs> it's kind of part of the colonialist tradition, which is not mm. to say there are not patriarchal and gender distinctions in other places, but again, they are different. And what's the most significant thing about you in a community might not be your gender in a different place. Mm. And that that policing of gender also, we have to remember, has a specific American history. Like we have to, we cannot forget the McCarthy era. We cannot forget mm. the homophobia underpinnings, you know, um, so that's all I had there. I didn't have a through line. Um, you know. 
So sorry, folks. It's a summer short, and it's the last episode. So there you go. <laughs> We're so tired. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, that is no that that that's that's super real, and I think that that's something that often people yeah well talk about gender as if it just exists somehow outside of culture or as, as somehow mm-hmm. like gender doesn't in itself possess a culture within it and it's like that's not true that, that doesn't make any sense like that like how what like it's just and, and i think that just falls into you know just like how sort of a more normative expectations around gender are just considered like oh it's just how gender is and it's like no girl that's that's not how that works um mm-hmm. there are a few other just like kind of more one-off things that i sort of wanted to bring up yeah. <clears throat> so i guess speaking on this idea of family this is really interesting because i this book really made me reflect on something that i hadn't really thought about before um so george was kind of talking just sort of throughout the the book how you know with themselves, I don't think necessarily with hope, but but at, at least with themselves. Like sometimes it felt like the family always knew that they were queer and like always kind of mm. like had this understanding, but no one really talked about it. Which if you're in a space where it's like no one's talking about it and you also, you know, trying to explore, but also want to be able to have the liberty to do so. Yeah. Um that can feel very oppressive. It can feel very like don't ask, don't tell. Like it's like, oh, like you're kind of like on eggshells type of thing but it was interesting because like just throughout the book and i think this might have been the section where they're talking about their dad but like they're just saying how like maybe too sometimes people will know that they have like queer and trans people in their families but they don't necessarily know how to how to talk about it or like the best way of um yeah just like i guess just just showing up and also while acknowledging too that like okay this person isn't out like i don't want to ascribe a sexuality onto someone if that's not necessarily the thing you know like i don't want this to be read the wrong way like if you're not out but i have a feeling that you might be queer like how do i go about being like hey i affirm your queer identity without being like oh yeah you're queer you know what i mean like it's like it's like how do you do that and and i i I don't want to make light of it but i I, basically george is kind of speaking to to sort of that dynamic and like how do you show up for someone in that setting and certainly there are ways of doing that but it just made me reflect and be like huh i think there's like a nuance here as far as family dynamics that like i'm really kind of just reflecting on it just it just kind of makes me look at myself and my own sort of family dynamics and how i could very much relate to like this idea of like sort of unspoken truths where it's like it's clear as day that something's true but like some it may not always be discussed and how sometimes i can feel like stigma but it doesn't necessarily have to always be stigma it can but it doesn't always have to be and so i was like yeah huh this kind of putting me in a space where it's like okay like it offered me a perspective from i guess the other point of view that like I was like, this, this is, this is interesting. I think there's I something think here. That George does this really cool thing where they both critique the black family experience to say, like, no, but there are points where you've just kind of sidelined my sexuality and gender expression. Mm-hmm. But also, as you're saying, giving space to like well, just because this wasn't done in the way that maybe it would be done in white society doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't making that space. So the question is, kind of like earlier we are talking about, like how do we divorce, you know, gender expression from the oppressor or what it has been. Mm -hmm. The black community does have a heterosexism, a homophobia problem. Like that's not, Mm. (laughs) that's not not a thing. (laughs) Correct, Um, right. (laughs) And so they're saying... With this critique, I felt like they were saying, yes, that exists. 
and moving forward how are we going to show up for each other in a way that is is in a way that we have but in a way that also expands to include people but we've already started to do that in some areas but how do we do that more consistently and as mm. part of our culture kind of like when we were talking about the death of Vivek OG and I was talking about how like Africans are pretty accepting about most, you know, like mm-hmm. about most things, most of the time, like we have basic philosophies of how you do certain things like mm-hmm. humanity things. And yet it's, it is true that when it comes to queerness and homophobia, we, there's a, there's somehow a lack of acceptance there. Mm-hmm. And so the question is without relying on colonialism, how do we be the accepting community that we are about other things. How do we apply that cultural context here as well? And Mm. why did we stop applying that at all? Since it's actually kind of foreign to us not to be that accepting. You know what I'm saying? And I think that could be reading too much into it. The author could be like, Akko, that's not (laughs) what I was saying. (laughs) But I think that's what they're getting at, right? With their Mm. critique, but also saying, but it's not all a critique, right? It's not all. Exactly like we haven't made space for each other we have um, right and because that's very much a stereotype that exists people will be like oh my god black people are so homophobic as if somehow black people are like disproportionately more homophobic than, right like, as, everyone else people, and, right. and i'm like well, that's not yeah true yeah and it's the same thing with sexism they're like oh rap is so sexist i was like exactly. jimmy's singing about stalking susan go call jimmy you know like, like it's very frustrating <laughs> yeah definitely um And they don't show the ways that our communities have oftentimes been more accepting than the majority culture. Yeah, it can be very, very frustrating. I agree with you. Yeah. Thank you for echoing that. (laughs) Sometimes it really bugs me. But anyway. No, it it really bothers me because I feel like especially even within like queer spaces i've heard that kind of shit and i'm like oh girl yeah yeah fuck all that we're not we're not we're not Mm. doing that (laughs) and it's interesting because you speak about how there's kind of like a like a like a foreignness to this idea of like not being accepting and it's like the, like this you know being accepting within our communities up to a certain point or like i don't know there being kind of like a sh- like a struggle there and it, i don't know i just i just liken it to colonialism and white supremacy like i just Me feel too. like <laughs> outside of these paradigms like this idea or at least for for myself i feel like i've i've you know, witnessed a lot of this idea of like, oh, well, girl, we're already black. So girl, you black and you trans or black and you queer. Or like, you know, mm-hmm. like all these different things. It's like as if like it's like within an oppressive structure where this idea that we need to like exactly. constantly assimilate or like prove ourselves or try to, you know, like be the most respectable. Cause it, and But also friendly reminder, respectability politics will never save black people. That's never you. that's literally not going to save us. But anyway, um, yep. I feel like there is this idea that like somehow like just like innately like a queer trans identity just moves away from that. And I think that that can kind of that has everything to do, honestly, with like a a lot of why we see these trends. Um, And even just we can also have a conversation about religion as well and kind of how. Yeah, that's a good point. But then think about it, too. The the religious structure we have now is part of the colonial. I'm not saying other we we have had religions before people um, but even the christianity that we have now is specifically european mm. like that stuff when you go other places right like the middle east and africa like religious divides aren't the same like for instance like the protestant catholic thing there's a differentiation in africa but it's not like in the european history where you got people murdering people across the continent for protestant mm. catholic like it doesn't really work like that like the same thing like the 
intersection of of Islam and Christianity and Judaism not as separated right <laughs> like mm. so even like the religious structures we have now I mean it was part of the colonial we know that God gold and glory that was the that was the whole anthem <laughs> of mm-hmm. the of the colonial history but remember when we were talking about how violence flattens the nuance of things mm. underneath this right is this is the violence of right because <laughs> surprise shocker Black people have been oppressed in America through very excessive amounts of violence. (laughs) Just so we are clear on that. And if you thought this podcast believed anything else, you could turn us (laughs) off. (laughs) Um, But in that violence, right, is where respectability grows out of. Like, is this fear, like your point, like, oh, you're already black. There's already a level of violence. And so we must flatten any other nuance because Mm -hmm. the fear of more violence is so prevalent yeah anyway Mm. maybe maybe not kind of like this collective like trauma yeah like i I, I was i I was about to say post-traumatic stress but then i'm like Mm post-traumatic implies that the trauma is over but it's (laughs) still happening um so Mm -hmm. post and current yeah that's an ooh. um i feel like i've always thought that but i've never heard it said like that so i really appreciate you bringing that in because think about that similar scene with nemdi and what was his name? Osita. There you go. Osita. And yeah. Oh, TVT. <laughs> wow. A TVT. <laughs> and he's um, Osita is pulling like Nemdi's hand to get out of the way of the mob, right? And mm-hmm. it's that one's more visceral, more obvious, the violence. Mm-hmm. But it's that same underlying fear, right? Mm-hmm. We're already so afraid of the right. violence. That, by the way, partially the fault of colonialism. You know, those divides, the Biafra War, partially colonialism. May may not even be partially, could be entirely. I was like, we could give that a whole 100%. (laughs) 100%. But um, yeah, right? It's the same. There are parallels there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In my opinion. Definitely. Comparative literature. Who knows? Ooh, (laughs) come on. Shit, should I just get a degree in comparative literature? Because she, we've been (laughs) fucking it up. I love comparative literature. Okay. Yeah, Um, you're really getting me into it. So, yeah, because, yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so end of the day, y'all, this book is just very nuanced and just good. It's, like, hilarious. Like, I literally was, like, kikiing reading this shit. I don't want to, like, talk forever, so I'll just kind of very, very quickly kind of, like, um, just bring up two things real quick. Um, one thing I loved about this book as well is that in the section where George was talking about their sexual experiences, I like that they described those experiences almost like line by line, like from mm-hmm. like, okay, this is how I met this person. This is what I did when I came over. Like we hung out for this amount of time. Then we kind of like transitioned to whatever. Like I like that the discussion around pleasure and sex was like very clear and very open and very like, this is exactly yeah. what happened. And I like because I, I, I feel, and maybe this is just from someone who's been in kind of like, the sexual health space, like in a, I guess, professional sense, um, however you define that, I guess, or like in the nonprofit sector, it can feel like conversations around sex are very like indirect. It's very like ethereal. Yes. And we're talking, <laughs> we're kind of like speaking to things topically and just kind of like in the abstract, but like we're not just saying yeah. like, yeah, when I went over, like we did XYZ, then we went to like his bedroom, we did la 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 la, then we did, you know, like it's like, like mm-hmm. I like that it was just very clear. And especially when you're considering like an adolescent audience, very powerful. Yeah. So definitely appreciated that. Other thing I want to say real quick is that uh, there's a whole conversation here about like queerness and sports that I really want and that I honestly kind of wanted to bring up when we were talking about Butterfly Soup, but I like, I, I think we just, yeah, like lost track of time. Not lost track of time, but I just, I just didn't. Oh, I just like, I don't know, just, whatever. <laughs> um, 
where I feel like this idea that like George was able to kind of find like just throughout their life joy in team sports and joy in expressing themselves through Mm -hmm. sports in a way that I feel like I could kind of relate to but at the same time I feel like I've sort of in some ways denied myself just because like I kind of assumed that like a you know a team sports setting this like whatever Mm. was always going to kind of accompany these like hyper masculine traits like it just felt like it wasn't for me and now i'm like you know i i look at this i I mean shit butterfly soup i'm reading this i'm like i don't know like i like the idea of like reframing that and kind of recapturing what it means to be on a sport to be athletic to to you know kind of have this camaraderie and like without the toxic masculinity part like and in what the the beauty that that can become um i just yeah so just wanted to speak to that real quick yeah, I, I I like both your points. I was gonna say a pirouette and a sachet again, but I'm like, you've done that many times. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> to your first point, I do agree that there's. We talked about this in our Ambrosia episode, right? There's just oh, so many of our episodes are coming back. It's really I know. <laughs> what what in the final episode of the summer short series? Like, what? wasn't even planning this. <laughs> like, that's wild. Anyway, Love but it. um. We talked about that, right? Like this obfuscation, obs- 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 whatever. We talked about like mm-hmm. the lack of directness and mm-hmm. and the and also like the erasure Come from on. sexual education. Come on. And so it does lead to this like life. And I think a lot of people can relate to this where they're like, and now we're going to have the sex. And you're like, well, what is the sex consistent? <laughs> right. And everyone's like, shrug shoulders. We don't know. And you're like, okay, mm. well, this is getting a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Like, and especially how much more danger is that putting queer folks in, right? Where exactly. there's already not scripts and there's already not help. And you, for some people, they're doing it without a community or a parent they can talk to a lot of people can't talk to their parents about sex but even right. more so right how much more is the danger so you're right that line was first of all beautifully written second of all very instructive so mm-hmm. i agree with you very vulnerable and beautiful thing to put in a book because also i think george had to like write down their own insecurities about sex yeah. and that you know that's not very fun for anyone to do so thank you for that um, exactly we appreciate it and we appreciate it and then to your point about sports i I agree. I I do think, I do not think the majority, hmm, I think a lot of sports is still toxic. (laughs) So if you Mm. are feeling like you missed out, even as um, I was a black kid in a pretty white school, (sighs) try being a black girl who's not the fastest person on a sports team because the stereotype is that you will be. (laughs) Mm. Um, And so you're right. There's a lot of stereotypes still embodied but if there weren't right if we could enjoy sports and and i was talking i think to you offline about like the sports industrial complex of america and how like yeah yeah there's these yeah there's like these weird metrics of success and access for like wealthy people and yada 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 it's it can get very intense and and so there isn't that same sort of just fun like for instance like (laughs) i'm west african but and most of the world actually plays football or soccer mm-hmm. and it's really just not that serious like it's mm. just for the love of the game it's just for fun it's just to be you know and it doesn't have these connotations of like wealth and power and strength and you know, people mm. living vicariously through their children um and there's a lot of that there's a lot of social i guess emphasis on sports and mm-hmm. once you put the social emphasis on sports, all the social metrics 
come in, right? Mm-hmm. And that gives, I feel, sports this sort of hyper whatever, you know, mm-hmm. toxicity. And it's kind of sad because it shouldn't have all these connotations of femininity and masculinity and it, they're just sports. Like, they're right. just for the love of the game. You're just, it is literally, like, if we go back to, like, the Grecian idea of, like, just, like, the love of the use of your body. Mm. <laughs> you know, the finite body that we have the exertion the love of the exertion of the self you know it's and mm-hmm. what are we are capable of like the way simone Biles is just perfection in both her mental and physical like capacity to pull off such an amazing feat not perfection mm-hmm. like able its weight but like in the fact that she took her skill and, and reached such a high mm. I, I cannot do what simone Biles does. <laughs> you know like obviously not <laughs> i can't even do a cartwheel <laughs> anyway but that's I, I don't think it should have all these these negative connotations like you're saying I, it should be the love of the game or yeah. the love of the fun of it, you know mm-hmm. and the camaraderie exactly. anyway yeah all right august talks so much but i think we had a good conversation it was fun <laughs> i agree yeah this was a really y'all just like just read it just read this book just do it just like just it's yeah, just, just so it. it's so yeah so good i think it's so good even for as much as we talk the book still has way more to offer than oh discussed. down absolutely uh-huh. absolutely do you have a quote um if you want i can go first Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a quick quote that I really enjoyed. Um, and I can't. Oh, yeah. They were talking about how Abraham Lincoln actually was not the best, but actually the worst. By the way, for the kids out there who are listening to this, Abraham Lincoln did not want to free the slaves. He wanted to keep the union together. And he was right. like, if I have to free the slaves to keep the union together, I guess I'll do it. So if any of your teachers tell you need to be grateful to Abraham Lincoln or the Republican Party, you can tell them to kick rocks. Anyway, the quote is, symbolism gives folks hope. But I've come to learn that symbolism is a threat to actual change. It's a chance for those in power to say, look how far you have come, rather than admitting, look how far we've stopped you from getting here. And I was like, yeah, or even look how not far we've come. (laughs) Mm. Or even why would you, like, you have not succeeded because you came from the worst place and are slightly better than your worst self Mm. (laughs) that's like maybe it's the african parent in me but like i don't know man like you gotta see and you somehow want me you gotta see you passed okay (laughs) and (laughs) what do you want for that like i think a lot of times we're we expect so much for marginalized people to be in society and then we expect so little from the oppressor right (laughs) what our society we just get rid of the hierarchies in general and reimagine a world that's better and then we don't have to talk about progress narratives because we've reimagined a better existence come on we are literally capable of it humans are one of the most brilliant creatures that i've ever known (laughs) so yeah Akko's like, they're like, Akko, do you know a lot of creatures? Are you, do you have the UFO reports? <laughs> like, no, I don't. I'm just saying. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Um, yeah, mine is like, honestly, pretty simple. It's just like the idea was just really interesting. Um, so this is in the section where um, George is talking about like, George versus Matthew and kind of how they spoke to those throughout their lives. Um, and the quote is just, it's very simple. It's the end of the chapter. And it's just like, I bet most of you never thought to question if you even like your name or question if that was something that you had power to change if you didn't. I hope you will now. And I remember just reading that at the end of that chapter and being like, this is really interesting because like as someone who also is sort of like, 
has like two names in a sense. Like it's it's something that. Are you talking about Marcy and? Yeah, Marcy and like my government. Um, oh, gotcha. And it's interesting because it's like I. There's a whole conversation. Oh my god, y'all! I wish we had like eight hours to to talk about mm-hmm. this book because there's like. It just made me think a lot about just like sort of like this idea of like changing your own name and kind of like how that operates and like where like just kind of like the location of like even where you can like kind of like explore these new names versus like where you can't. It's just yeah, it just it made me just think about yeah. a lot and 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 something where it's like I just kind of like through time naturally was like yeah Marcy just call me Marcy like whatever like I just didn't even really think about it and it's like huh never really thought about yeah. it just kind of just kind of happened it's just yeah just it just yeah just made me think and how i'm like yeah honestly <laughs> in a lot of ways i'm like i mean marcy's like my go-to like should i just change my right. name <laughs> like, like like formally change my name um so yeah stay tuned that's a good that, that may be coming we'll see <laughs> mm. yeah i mean uh as an immigrant like name you definitely <laughs> america will definitely make you think about your name <laughs> that's definitely something they'll make yeah. you do <laughs> whether you like it or not anyway um so there's lots of thoughts that we literally don't have time for um but so maybe one day in the future it's not today but if you have thoughts about names and what to do with them you know or other things other things about we talked about a lot of things so if you have thoughts on those things or any of the books we read during the summer short series or heck any of the books we read ever at Mm -hmm. the colored pages on twitter throw us any type of message and on our instagram take a selfie with a book and say i read this book aqua and marcy at these color pages or you know we have a link tree it doesn't really matter now because we're at the end of the season but when we get more <laughs> books we'll put a link tree up and then you can you can read what we're reading next with us maybe yeah and then we have an email these color pages at gmail.com where you can type things like gee whiz Akko, these transitions are smooth as butter and they have been all summer you know so smooth the butter never once have you <laughs> never once have y'all fucked up a transition always just, Zero just times. elegant Zero times. grace truly the embodiment of grace honestly yeah speaking of things that are are the embodiment of greatness we also have a white <laughs> website <laughs> these color pages dot com so check out what we do over there you know if you want to see any of our collabs they're all on our website if mm-hmm. you want to see them you can also see them on the, the guests websites yeah yeah. Thank you for staying with us. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. And and honestly, yeah, we'll definitely make sure we put the link tree in the discussion in the show notes. At this point, by the time y'all are listening to this, we should hopefully have like our you know, our updated oh, link yeah. tree up. That's a good point. Um so you or rather our updated um reading list. So y'all should be able to see what we're gonna be reading this this season. But yes, but if the show brought you any love, light, delight, mm, yes, like please, you know, just Leave us some love wherever you're listening to this podcast, which could be of a podcast or not. not. So, yeah, we love a comment. We love a rate. <laughs> we love a review. We love a combination of any of those things. Also, too, if you know of anyone in your life that you're like, you know what you need? All boys aren't blue because it's everything. Mm. Honestly, it's just, it's just, 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 just should be just uh, just anyone you see. Just be like, hey, read this book because it's just do that. Right. Um, share this episode with them, of course. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and honestly, yeah, just more and more like truly like we really appreciate you all so much just for taking the time to listen to us to you know for for reaching out to like yeah just being a part of this whole journey you all make it worth it and we are deeply deeply thankful so our next episode will be a book that 
at the time of this recording, we don't really know yet. We actually don't know what we're reading next. But if you go to our link tree, we should have it. Yes, we should. Um, not us being completely unprofessional, but go to our link tree. Uh, you know what? It's probably going to be, be though. Say. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, it's likely going to be the last book in the Broken Earth trilogy. Likely, it, yes, that's probably it. It'll likely be so. the Stone Sky by N.K. Jemisin. Which mm-hmm. ch- see if we're right. If we write, we just go. <laughs> we're just going to high five us in the past because we did that. Up. Yes. Hey. Um. But yes. But between now and then, Akko, is there anything else we should leave our listeners with before we head out? Uh, no. Just until we see you next time. Just remember to. Stay, Stay colorful. colorful.